With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. So in order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to pay attention to and hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that happen. And I would love to learn more about the audience. So go to PodSurvey, that's P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y, PodSurvey.com slash James, and take a quick totally anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way we can bring on advertisers and, and even content that you won't want to skip. So once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash James, J-A-M-E-S. Thanks for your help. Don't let the mysteries of life scare you away. Instead, ask Altucher. Here's James Altucher. Claudia, so I want to. I have an important question to ask you. You do tell me. Yes, have you ever died? Like, <laughs> have you ever, like, you know, been declared clinically dead or been in an accident? No, I haven't. Uh, where, Why like, do you, you stop ask breathing? me these? Okay, well, I have on the line right now Hal Elrod, who wrote The Miracle Morning. Hal, how's it going? It's going well, James. I'm grateful to be here with you and Claudia. And Hal, we're we're so unselfish and good people your book is constantly competing with us on in amazon in the entrepreneurship category but i'm gonna i specifically want to promote your book because it's such a great book and your story is so inspirational because you died yes it started off and as you start the book you 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 did die you got into an accident and died and out of that came this kind of inspirational awakening which we'll get to but i wanted to ask you first uh, maybe can you recount the story of the accident that happened to you? And I'm sure this must be so boring to you because like a thousand people probably asked you about <laughs> this, but you have to do it. I have to do it, right? It's uh, yeah. I, mean, I guess if you enjoy enjoy speaking, I enjoy speaking. It's it's what I think I was born to do. So uh, you know, in, in that way, I can always find the new the newness of the uh, the story every time I tell it. So when I was 20 years old, I I was a top salesperson for. The company Cutco Cutlery, and like many college students, I started selling knives to kind of make some side money. Uh, I didn't realize that I would I would break all these company records and, and, and kind of and, rise to the top. And how I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm, I'm I tend to be a uh, an interrupter. I'm an interrupter, but I I, and and I do want to get to the crux of the story. But what does it mean you were selling knives? Like who were you like going door to door at the dormitories and selling knives, or who were you selling knives to? So I was selling knives to kind of your average, typically like a housewife, you know, your average housewife or even a couple. And, uh, and it was all based on referrals. So when I started, I started out with people that I know. Uh, you know, I, I basically did appointments for my, my mom and dad and my fr- friends and family and their parents and this and that. 
And, uh, and then I got referrals every single time I would do an appointment. I'd get 10 or 15 referrals to like-minded people, and then I would call on those referrals. I'd say, your friend Mary referred you. Uh, do you mind if I come over and show you this product? She thought you'd really like it, and if you don't buy it, that's totally okay, but I just wanted to show it to you. And, and that's kind of that, – that's how the, the career you know, just propelled itself. So I, I like that kind of no-pressure, hands-off. Uh, sort of approach and, and using your current clients to get new clients. People don't realize uh, the most powerful sales technique is to ask your current clients to be your salespeople for you. But but I have a question. Like I I ha- everybody has knives already. Like if I go into any house in the universe, they already have knives. Yes, they do. So so the question is why 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 would they buy these other knives? Uh, right. And then we're gonna I mean, get it's then we're gonna get to your death. But I want to talk about knives for a second first. The knives before death. Yeah, so most people, their knives don't work very well. You know, they, they usually buy inexpensive knives, uh, cheap They want to. They either buy cheap knives or if people have money, they buy expensive knives, but they buy straight-edge knives that, that don't hold their edge. And most people, they buy the set of equals because that's what all their friends have, but they don't sharpen it, and it goes really dull. And Cutco's got this really cool proprietary edge uh, and it, it stays sharper just, you know, multiple times more than the average knife. So people, you go in and you go, hey, let's cut some things together. Get your favorite knife and we'll use some Cutco. And, you know, and, and we use their knife and it squishes the tomato and it doesn't work. And then you pull the Cutco knife and they're just blown away by uh, the quality, how effective it is. And then the service, they sharpen your knives for the life of them and uh, they're guaranteed forever and this and that. So basically people just go, you know, I, I, I didn't realize how dull my knives were. These work amazing, and since I'm in the kitchen every single day, I'll use these every day for the rest of my life. Uh, I guess it makes sense to consider making that investment. I already won one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so okay, so so. Well, I, I sent you some knives, by the way, Claudia. You can oh count on that. Oh my seriously! Wow. All right, we're girl. we're exchanging addresses <laughs> after this. So okay, so so now what happened the night of? So I, uh, I had given a speech at a Cutco conference, which you know very common as uh, I, I was all, almost always speaking at the, the live events, and whether it was national or regional. And this was a local event, about 40 sales reps, and I gave a speech, and I got a standing ovation, which for me, my dream along the way as a Cutco sales rep was that when I'm done with Cutco, I want to be a professional speaker. Like That's where I, I, I enjoy myself the most. I find my passion. And uh, I gave a speech that night, got a standing ovation, which was like, very affirming, like, wow, maybe I'm good enough to, to do this for real someday. And I was driving home that night feeling on top of the world. I mean, I can remember kind of leaving the meeting and just being elated, like, oh my gosh, what an amazing night. And about 20, 20 minutes after that, 12 minutes after that, something like that, driving home in my brand new Ford Mustang, which as a 20-year-old young man, that was like the, the dream car that I could afford at that time. And I was hit head on at 70 to 80 miles per hour by a full-size Chevy truck crashing a boat. He was, they were going, the drunk driver was going the wrong way on the freeway full speed. I don't remember seeing him coming at me, but we hit head on and the worst was actually yet to come. My car spun off the drunk driver kind of sideways and the car that was tailing right behind me, according to that driver later on, did not even have time to hit the brakes. They were doing 70 miles per hour cruising right behind my bumper and I, my car spun sideways and they crashed into my driver's side door at 70 miles an hour and I broke 11 bones and an hour later I bled to death and I was clinically dead for about six minutes on, on the side of the freeway. 
And so can I ask, like, obviously, the, it, there's kind of an obvious question, which is, was there any awareness at that point on your, or even like sliding into the, the, the near-death experience? Was there any awareness on your part? You know, I, yeah, of course, I do get asked that question, but not, no, I don't remember. Because of the, the, the brain damage that I suffered, which was essentially from the head-on collision and the side collision, immediately my brain was just smashed. And so I have no memory from, you know, I don't remember the accident happening, and I don't remember about two weeks after the uh, the crash. So, so, no, there's no memory. If I did have a near-death or afterlife experience, I don't have a, a recollection of it, but I do really feel that more powerful than that is is kind of this, I don't know, you could almost call it a spiritual knowing that it was my responsibility to take my adversity and turn it into an advantage for not only myself, but for other people. And I kind of, you know, when I woke up from my coma and I, I came to realize what had happened to me, it was kind of almost immediately I felt like, wow, I have a sense of responsibility to overcome this as effectively and efficiently and quickly as I possibly can, as positively as I possibly can, because only then will I understand how I can pay that forward and teach that to other people, whether it's my kids or I go on to, you know, be a speaker or, or write a book or, or whatever. And I think we all have that responsibility to be able to pay forward the lessons that we learn and turn our adversity into an advantage to serve the people that, that we care about. And how I, I agree with that. But let me ask you, when you first woke up, OK, they told you there was a chance you might not walk again. They told you you had brain damage. You had all of these broken bones. From what I read in your book, your girlfriend broke up with you like while you were in a coma. Um, <laughs> it was a few weeks after I came out of the coma. But yeah. So so I mean, honestly, I would probably be feeling kind of down. I don't know if I would immediately think. Oh wow! This this amazing thing just happened to me, and here I am, brain damaged, and I can't walk. Like I think it probably would take time before me to to think. Oh, I need to immediately turn this adversity into something good. Like, how was there any kind of sense that? Oh my gosh, this is like really a disaster for me right now. So from from what I from what I've been told, I I really like I said I don't remember the first two weeks after the accident. Now one week I was in a coma. The first week I was still in a coma, so I was unconscious came out of the coma, and for the first week of being out of the coma, I don't really remember that week as well. What I've been told by my mom and my dad and friends and visitors is that from almost day one, uh, as soon as I kind of came to and, and I, was, I, I got my bearings, because at first the brain damage was so bad that uh, I'd wake up, my mom and dad would tell me what had happened to me, and, and then I would, you know, I'd fall asleep because my body was healing and I was tired all the time. I'd fall asleep, I'd wake back up, and because of the brain damage, I'd have no memory of the fact that I had woken up maybe two hours before. And my poor parents had to keep telling me that this happened over and over and over again. So according to mom and dad, though, I as soon as as soon as I I, I you know I was able to remember and understand where I was. They said I immediately went back into my old personality, and they said I was laughing and I was joking, and they actually said I was trying to sell Cutco to the doctors and nurses right out out of the coma, wow. and uh, and they were mortified. You know, Hal, gosh, this is inappropriate. Stop trying to sell Cutco to the doctors and nurses. I said, Mom, do you know how much money doctors make? Don't you know? Don't ruin this for me, right? And uh, and so and so to kind of wrap that up, James, you know, the doctors actually thought I was in denial. And they thought I was delusional because I was so upbeat and happy. They thought it was fake that I just couldn't accept my reality. Okay, so, what, okay, so, so, so oh, and I'm sorry, Claudia. Yes, no, you, please. Uh, Claudia, you go first. What kind of medications were you on? 
Um, I, you know, I mean, the, whatever the minimum kind of was to function, it was, you know, I think they had me on morphine for the pain. And I think that was about it. Well, um, so, so I, in terms of the brain damage, like, is there any analysis of the parts of your brain that got permanently damaged that also could have led to feelings of denial, perhaps? Or I don't know. You, you know more than me about what, yeah, what happened. Yeah, so the part of my brain that was damaged is my the frontal lobe. And your frontal lobe controls really two things. It controls your judgment and it controls your short-term memory. Ironically, I was hit by a drunk driver and the part of my brain that was damaged is the same part of your brain that goes to sleep when you drink alcohol. That's why you have horrible judgment and you say things and you do things that you later regret when you've been drinking. And then you have a horrible short-term memory when you've been drinking and you forgot what happened the night before. So I was essentially drunk all the time in the hospital. And I think that might have some influence on why I was – maybe I was able to take it you know, a little bit easier and not be as stressed out. But ultimately, here's the lesson. And my, my, the doctors called my parents in, and they told them that they were concerned that I was in denial, that I was delusional. They had my dad come in and talk to me to try to get to the bottom of how I was, you know, quote, unquote, really feeling. And my dad explained the concerns of the doctors, and he said, how, how are you really feeling? The doctors say that it's, it's totally normal for you to be scared of your future, and you might not walk in or be angry that this happened or be sad or, you know, all of those things are normal. How are you really feeling? And I looked at my dad, and without hesitation, I said, Dad, don't you remember what I learned in my Cutco training? I live by the five-minute rule, which says it's okay to be negative when things go wrong, but not for more than five minutes. Right. And, and, you know, and here's what I – because I learned this in, in, you know, through that process. Now, granted, the lesson was taught for much milder adversity like a right? – you know, <laughs> A no sale or a rude customer or a canceled order, but the principle was was the same. Is that every negative emotion that, that we ever feel is self created? Yeah. Say it again. I, I love that principle. Yeah, it's accept the things that you can't change and focus only on what you can. And I said, Dad, it's been more than five minutes. It's been two weeks since my accident. And here's what I said. I said, if I'm there's only one of two possibilities. Number one, the doctors are right, and I'm in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. And I said, and I've already decided that if that's the case, I'll be the happiest person you've ever seen in a wheelchair. Because either way, I'm in a wheelchair, and I can either be miserable about it, or I can be grateful, and I can be happy. I said, the second possibility is I will walk again. And that's what I'm putting all my energy to. I said, I'm visualizing it. I'm praying about it. I'm, I'm focusing on that possibility. I've accepted the worst. I'm focusing on what I want. And you guys, I don't think it was a coincidence that you know a week later the doctors came in with routine x-rays and they said, we don't know how to explain this, but your body is healing so quickly. We're going to let you take your first step tomorrow in therapy. So went from never walking again to three weeks after the crash, I took my first step. Did, did it hurt the first step? Um, yeah, it hurt. It hurt mentally. I mean, I was, it was, it, it scared the heck out of me. At first I was excited when the doctors told me this. Then I started having like visions of my, my, you know, my leg breaking or, you know, I, I just, I got, I got real freaked out. Um, but, uh, and I was only able to take, you know, I think I was able to stand up, maybe take one or two steps and then sit back down in the wheelchair. And, um, yeah, I don't remember the physical pain, but I would, I would imagine either a, I was on painkillers uh, so I didn't feel it as much, uh, you know, or B, it, it might have hurt a bit, which is why I can only take a step or two. So I, w I want to get into the book, The Miracle Morning, but um, I also want to know, why did your girlfriend break up with you? <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I mean, I have no hard feelings towards her at all. 
a couple things. It was she, so she was in this horrific car accident with me. Now, granted, all she had was a sprained shoulder. So if you look at the car online, if you go to um, you know, if you go Google how Elrod and go to images, you'll see the the car and me in a coma. It's pretty pretty gruesome, but. She, her side of the car was untouched. The head-on collision happened on my corner of the car, and then I was broadsided in my door. So even though she didn't have any major injuries, um, she still had a lot of emotional. You know, she—I mean, she potentially watched me die. And it's almost like, other than her family, she was kind of forgotten by all of our friends, and because it was kind of there was so much focus on me, and and also because of my brain damage, I said a lot of inappropriate things to her, and. Um, I was I was flirting with my nurses and anyway it's it's a long story but yeah I don't blame her at all it was a very difficult time for everybody and, and before the accident happened I think we were already you know we were we were both 20 21 years old we were kind of kind of already you know thinking we we, we might not be the ones for each other I see okay so so then um, you, you know you continued your sales career for a few years but then you started getting into life coaching kind of kind of evolving out of these experiences, both from this uh, near-death experience and your experience in sales sort of combined together, you became a life coach focusing around a lot of these principles and ideas you have. Maybe describe what you were, were coaching. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, yeah, it was some life coaching, but a lot of, you know, using my background in sales and business, I was, I was coaching salespeople and entrepreneurs and business owners and that sort of thing. And the coaching was, you know, whether it was life or business, it just kind of depended on the individual. Um, I, I, I left Cutco and that, that was my, I hit Hall of Fame with the Cutco company. And then my transition was directly into coaching. And it was because I had hired a coach and the coach completely changed my life. And I, I thought, wow, this is, you know, th th what What a great occupation to really be dedicated to helping people fulfill their potential, uh, which is also why I wanted to be a speaker. So the coaching was kind of the transition, and then I built my speaking business uh, alongside it while the coaching paid the bills for a while. And, and then I wrote my first book, which is called Taking Life Head On, and, uh, and, you know, published that. And that was kind of – when I left the Cutco company, I was really living my dreams where I'm like, wow, I'm a, I'm a coach, which is meaningful for me. I'm a speaker, which I've wanted to do for, you know, for five years. And I finally wrote a book, which was the hardest thing for me to do uh, and was kind of on top of the world, uh, if you will, uh, after the, uh, the Cutco experience when I, I hit what I call my second rock bottom, which is what led to the Miracle Morning. And so – okay, so, so – uh... I think your second rock bottom we can all relate to was uh, kind of this 2007 through 2009 period of financial catastrophe. But yes. what what then led to uh, the miracle morning? Like, how did you bounce bounce back? So what happened was I, I had just bought a brand new house. It was my first house. I had bought my my dream car, a little two door sports car. And, uh, and, you know, and again, I was, like I said, I was living my dreams in terms of my, my career as an author, a speaker and a coach. And almost overnight, I mean, we all remember that time, uh, James, I mean, you and I have faced the same rock bottom as, as did millions of Americans in, in terms of the financial ruin. And it felt like when the economy crashed, I kind of crashed with it. Over half of my clients couldn't afford to pay for coaching anymore. So they had to cancel it. I lost over half my income. I started living on credit cards, um, you know, and I don't, I, I don't compare to the millions and millions of dollars of potentially debt that you were in, but I, you know, for me, I was, I went from being debt free and proud of it to in six months, I had $53,000 in credit card debt, uh, just because I couldn't pay my bills and I lost my house, you know, back to the bank, canceled the gym membership, stopped exercising, and I got deeply depressed to the point of being suicidal. So really it was, it, it really was physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, 
spiritually, it was my my lowest point. And uh, the six month downward spiral. To keep a kind of a long story short, I, I just, a friend of mine convinced me that I needed to be running every day, but I hated running. And he said, "How you need to get oxygen to your brain and listen to some sort of self help. Listen to a podcast or an audio book while you're running, so you're in a peak state and you're learning something new." And he said, "Then go to work and implement what you're learning." So my very first day on a run, I heard a quote from Jim Rohn that changed my life. It was a catalyst for changing my life faster than I thought possible. And, and it was also, I mean, it's really, in, in a lot of ways, the Miracle Morning was born from this, this philosophy. And the quote from Jim Rohn is, your level of success will seldom exceed your level of personal development. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I realized I'm not dedicating time every day in my personal development to therefore become the person that I need to be to create the success that I want in my life. And I think that's true for most of us. We all want level 10 success in every area, health, happiness, you know, finances, whatever. But if, if who we are in terms of our knowledge and our mindset is not at a level 10, it's at like a two or a three as mine was at that time, that's the level of success that we're going to stick with and we're going to be stuck with. And I went home and I dedicated about an hour to, to researching what are the best personal development practices that the world's most successful people do every day. I, I had a list of six. I thought, should I do which one is the best? And I went, wait a minute, what if I did all of these, every single one? Because any one of these was a game changer. I thought if I did all of them, that would be the ultimate personal development ritual. I woke up the next morning, I did all of them, and my entire life changed. Because even though my life in my outer world was a mess at that time, at 6 a.m. that morning, my very first, you know, it wasn't called the Miracle Morning, but that's what I did, is... I felt incredible, and I thought, if I start every day with this much clarity and motivation and confidence and gaining the knowledge that I need to change my results, it's only a matter of time before my outer world reflects my inner world. And I'll wrap the story up with the results. It was less than two months after my first morning ritual, which, again, wasn't called the miracle morning until I got these results, and and they felt so miraculous. And that was I almost tripled my income. I more than doubled my income. In those two months, I didn't get a new job or a promotion. I just simply with the knowledge I was gaining and the clarity, I figured out how to scale my current business. And I more than doubled, almost tripled my income in those two months. And what, does that, what, does, that, work, what does that mean? You uh, you got more clients for, for the yeah, coaching? Exactly. I, just, I just got I got more clients. That was it. I just, you know, when, when you're in a funk and you're depressed and you're fearful and, you know, it's, it's hard to think clearly about what actions to take to turn things around. And in six months, I... I just I couldn't figure out the right actions to take, and in those two months I just I scaled. I, I, I actually I went back to my roots. I asked for referrals from my current clients, and I was able to more than double my client base. You know, in a two month period. Wow! And then I went from being in the worst shape of my life physically, where I hadn't exercised for a minute in six months, to I went. You know what? I hate running, so I'm gonna run a big. I'm gonna train for and run a 52 mile ultra marathon oh as a way to challenge everybody. Myself. Everybody we talked to in the past three days have told us they run like an Ironman or an ultra marathon. I think we're getting this big signal that we're going to have to start running, Claudia. <laughs> like, this is scary because I hate running also. I think it's a sign. So, yeah. So, James, if I went from hating running to doing a 52-mile ultra marathon, you can too, my friend. Oh, my uh, what, what, 
what what was your age when you started training for well i guess age is not doesn't matter doesn't matter how we've literally got rich roll coming over in like uh an hour and he did it at 45 claudia so okay okay there you go talk to rich yeah no i I mean i was i was like 27 or something but uh but but yeah, fair enough. But yeah, there's lots of older folks that uh, that, that do marathons. So um, so, so what, what was that list of personal? What were you, you said there was all the personal development goals that you started doing in the mornings. What are like all the personal development goals? Yeah, yeah I don't know. If it's all of them, but it's basically when I was doing my own you know research, I came across. I kept just cross referencing these same six that came up. No matter, I was basically researching what do the world's most successful people do every day. And, and th- these are the six that I kept coming across. And when I first wrote them down, I just want to say this as a disclaimer for anybody listening. My, I almost threw the idea out the window because I had heard of all of these. And we're so conditioned. To, it's got to be new, cutting edge, never heard of it before. Right. And when we've heard of it, we often dismiss it like, yeah, I've heard of that. I, I already know that, right? And so as soon as I realized, wait a minute, I don't do these every day just because I – I know what they are, or maybe I tried them before once or twice. I don't do them every day. And so the six practices are organized in an acronym, thanks to my brilliant wife and the thesaurus, uh, to keep them memorable. And they're called, the acronym is SAVERS, as in these are the life savers. The first S is for silence, starting your day with meditation. Or for some people, it's prayer or a combination of both. But the benefits of meditation, you know, you don't have to look far to realize that they are profound, and not just from a spiritual aspect, but you find a lot of Fortune 500 CEOs that meditate every day to keep their mind as sharp as it can possibly be, regardless of the, you know, the spiritual aspect. Which reminds me, have you read the book uh, Buddha's Brain by Rick Hansen? No, but I'll order it right now if James L. Tucher tells me to. Yeah, he, he, it's a great book, and he talks about all the kind of science behind why different types of meditation, you know, there's sort of, you know, uh, meditation of watching your thoughts, there's compassion meditation, gratitude meditation, and so on. He talks about the science of what happens in your brain behind each type of meditation. Did you say it's called the Buddha Brain? Yeah, by Rick Hansen. Awesome. I'll look that up. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, so that's the meditation or the silence component. The A is for affirmations, and affirmations have a bad rap. I um, I just wrote an article for Entrepreneur uh, the other day called Why Affirmations Have Failed You and Four Steps to Change That because most people, they've tried affirmations, but the way that affirmations have been taught for you know decades by the you know so-called the self-help gurus, if you will, they're not very effective. And I'll tell you a couple of reasons why is no, number one, most of them teach you to lie to yourself. Right. You say, you know, I am a millionaire. But no, you're not. You know, if you're not a millionaire, you're, you're not going to believe these lies. Or I, you know, I have 7% body fat or I've achieved all my goals this year. And it's like, no, you haven't. Right. And unless you're delusional, you, you, you reject the affirmation. The truth will always prevail. So in the book, I teach the steps to create affirmations that are goal and action oriented. It's not money flows to me while I sit on my butt and attract it. It's I'm committed to earning X amount of dollars by, by doing this specific activity for this duration on these days of the week starting at this time. It's affirmations that program your subconscious mind to do the things that you need to do to achieve the things that you want, not passively wait for them to show up in your life. I love that. Yeah, because to some extent, um, it's similar to uh, our practice of writing 10 ideas a day because uh, you're actually forcing yourself to come up with the ideas to get to where you want to be. 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just telling you guys before discipline. we started recording that I love your book, Claudia, um, The Idea Machine, Becoming an Idea Machine. I just A buddy of mine was over the other day. I showed it to him. He absolutely loved it, and uh, he ordered it right there in front of me. So you, you are, you, your book is, is spreading, and, and as you know, it's making a, a difference in a lot of people's lives. So thank you for writing that book. Thanks. Yeah. That's great. Um, okay, so, so V. The V is for visualization, and similar to affirmations, uh, a lot of people disconnect with visualization because the way it's been taught over the years is you visualize your ideal outcome, and then you feel good about it, and then you go back to doing what you were doing. And there, there's research has actually shown that that can be counterproductive because if you see the outcome and you feel it, you imagine it, you actually trick your subconscious mind into thinking that that outcome is going to happen with or without you. It's almost like you go, yeah, I've seen it. You know, you ask someone, what are you doing to achieve your goals? They go, I visualize them every day. Okay, but let me, let me ask you, there's, there's two sides of this story. So it reminds yeah. me of um, the, the classic sports book, uh, The Inner Game of Tennis. Are you familiar? Or The Inner Game of Golf, one of those books. Um, I don't know if you've seen either one of them. Um, I it, No, I don't think I have. So, so it basically says like a tennis player should visualize, let's say, a serve right before he does it. Visualize every component of the serve right before he does it. That works for me. Yes. Yeah, so, so that's on the one side. The other side is a book by Oliver Berkman uh, called The Antidote, where he agrees with you. He, he says that you know doing this type of visualization just sets you yourself up for disappointment and could be very anti-productive. So, so, so James, where do you stand on like kind of that spectrum? Yeah, well, you actually you addressed it in the with with the first example that you gave. See, that that was my next point. Is if all you do is visualize the perfect outcome without visualizing the activity necessary to create the perfect outcome, you're you're, you're missing the point. You're missing the you know the, the effectiveness of visualization. So, you know, I teach people how to visualize the end result so that they can see it and they can believe it, but then the most important aspect of, of the visualization process for the Miracle Morning is visualize yourself doing the activity, taking the action that you need to take that is virtually guaranteed to produce that result. So no, it's, it's great if you're visualizing the perfect tennis swing. It's just that's different from visualizing yourself sitting on stage winning the, you know, winning the trophy, right? Right. So that's what I'm. You, so you're, the way you talked about it in the beginning, or that example is that's great. If you're golfers, they visualize the entire course, and and your body goes where the mind, you know, where the mind went, the body will follow. So I no, I I say visualize yourself doing the activities that will reach your goals that often you don't like doing, like lacing up your running shoes. See yourself running with a smile on your face, so that now that activity that you might normally dread actually looks exciting. But okay, don't just visualize yourself crossing the finish line. You got to see yourself on a daily basis taking that day-to-day action. Yeah, and I wanted to say that's the same thing. Like, say for people who want to make a million dollars, if you visualize yourself offering value, uh, offering one million dollars in value every mm. day for a certain uh, period of time, then it, you're more likely to get to it because the point of, of making the money is you you give something and the point of winning the Oscar is you actually gave talent. So I, I like this. It's about visualizing what has to be done for that mm. to happen. Yes, I love it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's exactly it, Claudia. I agree. Okay, so E. The E is for exercise and the exercise component um, you know, I, I was I was interviewed by Robert Kiyosaki uh, two days ago. You know, the author of Rich Dad Poor Dad, 
And, uh, and James, you'll get a kick out of this. I, I had no idea when I scheduled the interview until we were on the interview, but he has read The Miracle Morning three times. He wow. says he's on day 60 without missing his single day, and it's completely changed his life. I was wow. in wow. Robert so, Kiyosaki But he talked said- about the exercise component. He said um, he normally would only exercise one day a week, and now because I teach you how to do it in as little as a few minutes – day during his miracle morning and that's the point is that you don't need to you know if you go well i like to go to the gym in the evening or i go for afternoon runs or on my lunch break or whatever this isn't about replacing that exercise component but the benefits of exercising first thing in the morning getting your blood and your you know your heart rate up blood and oxygen to your brain releasing endorphins they're they're proven benefits that you don't want to wait until the afternoon to get those benefits so I like there's a great app called Seven Minute Workout on the iPhone that I use, and it's a seven minute workout in the morning. It's a full body workout. We're so get it. that's yeah. the E. I want to get that. Yeah, get it. It's, it's really cool. And then the R is for reading, and and obviously not reading, you know, necessarily sell, um, Harry Potter or Fifty Shades of Grey books like that, but identifying what are the self help books. What are the topics that you need to improve in any area of your life? Books like Choose Yourself, Becoming an Idea Machine, the books that will give you the knowledge to take any area of your life to the next level. And then the final S is for scribing. And scribing is, you know, that's, I call it a fancy word for writing because it wasn't even in my vocabulary until my wife told me I should use a thesaurus <laughs> to make the acronym. But uh, scribing is essentially, it's writing. It's journaling for me. I use a journal called the Five Minute Journal. Yeah, we and have it. Uh, yeah, you, UJ. What'd you say? UJ Ramdas. Yeah, my buddy UJ. Yeah, yeah. We, we've become great friends ever since I started using it and promoting it, and I, just, I love that journal. Uh, I use the app on my phone, but I've also got the hardcover version in my, you know, my nightstand. But but that daily journaling is, uh, you know, is so crucial to not, not just recording your, you know, what you're grateful for in your life's events, but I use it kind of like the Become an Idea Machine. And by the way, Claudia, as soon as I started reading your book, I immediately thought, I am going to share this with my community as a form of scribing. Which ah. I, actually, I need to write a note to do that. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Yeah, it is a form of scribing. You're right. It's a, it's a daily practice, and it helps you exercise the gratitude muscle and the idea muscle. That's very true. Yeah, exactly. So the um, so if you think about it, those so those six practices – if you do any, you know, Google search, you can find that some of the world's most successful people swear by any one of those. And when my first day of looking at these, I thought, which one of these will change my life the fastest? And because I couldn't, I couldn't find any, any person that their case for journaling was more compelling than the other person's case for meditation or the other person's case for affirmations – depending on which successful person you, you talk to or you research. So I, that was my epiphany is what if I did all of these? And that's what I found is no one had ever put all of these into one practice that you do every single day to really start each day in an optimum way. Because if you win the morning, you win the day and your life transforms you know, faster than you even think is possible. I, I like that. If you win the morning, you win the day. Yeah, Thank pro- you. he's probably going to use that in a, in a upcoming yeah. post and not even give you credit. Oh, yeah, I'm totally plagiarizing. Uh, <laughs> I probably I, – I, I bet I wasn't the first person. I probably plagiarized that from somebody else, so feel free. Uh, <laughs> that's an excellent way of putting it, though. If you win the morning, you win the day. I love it. You have this great quote uh, in the book that you, you quote um, the author Matt Kelly, and he says – 
on the one hand, we all want to be happy. On the other hand, we all know the things that make us happy, but we don't do those things. Why? Simple. We are too busy. Too busy doing what? Too busy trying to be happy. <laughs> so I and but you know I I get that question a lot. Like you know, obviously we know each other because we have we we talk about very similar practices that one should do. And people often say to me or ask the question, "Oh, I'm too busy. You try having." five kids and a full-time job and see if you can do it, which by the way, I have two kids and work pretty hard during the day, but no one seems to recognize that. But uh, uh, do people say that to you? Oh, I'm too busy to do this every day. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, here's, here's what, like going along with that Matthew Kelly quote that you just read, this is the big distinction that I had when I heard that Jim Rohn quote about your level of success will seldom exceed your level of personal development. And then he actually went on to say, that is because success is something you attract by the person you become. And the distinction that I've made is that the key to succeeding and taking your life to the next level isn't about doing more. It's about becoming more, right? When you take yourself to the next level, that's the first step in taking your life or your results, your income, whatever area you want to improve to the next level. And so that for me was the miracle morning is about dedicating time every day to becoming more than you've ever been before. And when you do that, you find that who you become transforms your life. But if you stay the same, which most people just wake up every day and life, they pretty much stay the same, but they try to do more or they try to do something differently without first becoming a better version of themselves. And that's the essence of the miracle morning. If every day you wake up and dedicate time to becoming a better version of who you were when you went to bed the night before, it happens very quickly that you see your life transform. And the results that I see in the Miracle Morning community are people that are losing weight faster than ever. There's a gentleman the other day, he's lost 60 pounds his first three months of doing the Miracle Morning. He gave all the credit to the Miracle Morning. I don't know if I would, you know, if that's right or not, but he said, because of the Miracle Morning, I've lost 60 pounds in three months. And he showed a before and an after picture. You know, so it really is universal for whatever results somebody wants to get. Who do you need to become so that that result, that area of your life, it becomes easy to improve it, not because you're doing more, but because you've become more than you were before. before. So, so how, wh where are you at right now? So obviously your, your, um, your coaching business has, has been growing. You're a best-selling author. Um, what, what's going on? What are the main things you're focused on? Yeah, that, it, I always kind of think back to Tim Ferriss's uh, four-hour workweek book when he said, you know, it's a hard question for him to answer. What do you do? Um, you know, I just, I just my first live event uh, in December, best year ever blueprint. We're doing that again. That's you know, that that's looking like we're going to be a sellout again. Uh, I I speak uh, quite, you know, I speak probably four or five times a month uh, all over the country, uh, and, and starting to do some international stuff. Um, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I I do less of that. I do group coaching. I've got a couple hundred coaching members. But my main focus is the miracle morning because there is nothing that I have ever added to the world. There's no value I've ever contributed to the world that has impacted as many people and as profoundly as the miracle morning. And so my purpose in life, my mission in life until further notice is to change millions of lives with the miracle morning. And that's, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm here trying to share it with your audience and uh, you know, I just, that, that's it. I wake up every day and I ask, what can I do today to introduce the Miracle Morning to more people and to support the people that are already doing the Miracle Morning? That's well, wonderful.
Well, Hal, we're, we're really grateful to help you spread this message. You've had quite an intense story, quite a roller coaster. And uh, uh, we'll definitely, I think, I think a lot of people will pay attention. I, I think it's a great message. Awesome. Well, thank you, guys. I cannot tell you how much it means to me to, uh, to, to be on the show. I really, I'm a big fan of both of your work, and uh, this is really a, a neat opportunity. Excellent, Hal. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. I'm sure we'll, we'll see you at the next uh, conference that we always seem to run into each other at. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, guys. Bye. Now that's what we call done. Visit StansberryRadioChooseYourself.com to download our free report called the Choose Yourself Stories and check back daily for more Ask Altiger.